Uh, welcome to our morning service. Great to see you all. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 1. Our theme uh, for this fall is Church on the Move. And in keeping with that, we're going to be preaching from this wonderful book. I'm going to open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that you are on the move, and that's why we're on the move. Lord, we just follow you. We just agree with you. We just align with you. As we look at Joshua, Father God, we see how he was in line with you and how he moved forward and advanced because you are taking him there. So God, that's what we want to do. We want to follow you. We want to go where you go. We want to move the way you move. And we ask for a breaking out, Father God, for our city, that your name would be known, that your presence, Father God, would spread. Spirit of God, come and land on this city and operate and move through your church. We thank you for your word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week I talked about the necessity of having courage if we're going to uh, reach our promised land as given to us in the text. I've listed the verses here, in particular 6 through 9, and how God spoke to Joshua and said, you have to be strong and courageous. Three times the Lord said this. And the reason why this encouragement comes from God is because the spirit of fear is always present to try and prevent us from reaching our destiny. I think of key moments in my life where I needed courage to do God's will. Even coming to Vancouver here over 15 years ago, that was scary for me. In the early years of my ministry, I kept telling Mimi, I just want to be a Timothy. I don't want to be a number one man. I want to be a number two man. Give me someone to follow, and I'll just do that. And that was my comfort zone, and that was my security. But then God gave me a verse that became the foundation of us coming from Matthew chapter 13, where it talks about a scribe becoming the head of a household. And God says, you're going to become the head of a household. He was calling me out, and I had no excuse. I had to be courageous. And where would I be today if we didn't come to Vancouver? I wouldn't have you. wouldn't have this church. Getting married to Mimi was also a scary thing. <laughs> I was scared spitless to ask her out. I had not dated for five years. I'd been seeking God if I should be single for him. But God made it clear to me during that time that I was to get married. And then when Mimi appeared on the scene, I had no idea what to do. I was not a well-oiled dating machine like some of you are. So God became my dating coach, and he gave me one line. No matter how she responds, pursue her. So I put on my dating helmet, summoned my courage, and plunged ahead, remembering God's word to me. No matter how she responds, pursue her. Sure enough, there were plenty of reasons in the early stages to shrink back. This girl doesn't like me. I don't want to be rejected. In my natural self, I would have just thrown in the towel and given up. But God said, pursue, be strong. And guess what? It worked out. She said, yes. Where would I be if Mimi was not my wife? I can't even imagine it. She's part of my destiny, part of my promised land. Then there was a call to China to train leaders there and work with the top house church leaders of China. And it was fraught with danger for 20 years. It was always nerve-wracking to go there twice a year to encourage the Christians. There was a season when 50% of our meetings were interrupted, shortened, or busted by the PSB, which is the Chinese police. It's scary to be interrogated, to have busloads of police come after you. And yes, we've had busloads of police come after us. We had to flee on foot. We had to get on motorcycle. We had to ride through cornfields in order to evade the police. But God was calling. And where would I be if I didn't summon the courage to go to China? I would have missed out on one of the greatest privileges of my life 
to be impacted by some of the greatest, most humble leaders in history and to touch the greatest sustained revival in church history. Had I given in to fear, I would have missed out on all of that. God calls us to be courageous. We have a destiny as a church. We don't know what's around the corner. We don't know what's around the bend, but we don't need to. As long as we're following the cloud, as long as we're following the pillar of fire, just like the Israelites, that nation was on the move through the desert, through treacherous terrain, and yet when the Spirit of God led them, they were going forward, and that's our comfort, and that's our confidence. But coming into our destiny doesn't happen without taking concrete steps. The land flowing with milk and honey is not Disneyland, where we just punch a ticket and go in. The land flowing with milk and honey requires character and determination and fortitude and guts. What is God calling you to do that requires courage? I'd like you to think about that question. Journal it. Maybe even write it down in your notes this morning or your smartphone. There was that word that came during the call out to the red carpet that some of us are on the moment of breakthrough. And maybe that moment of breakthrough requires just that step of courage to step into it or step out. What's God calling you that requires courage? Or maybe recall some moments where you've summoned courage to do what God has asked you. Build on that. It's all about God's calling your life and our life as a church. But as we read on here in the verses, there's a second quality that Joshua needed to get into the promised land. And God said this in verse 7 and 8. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you shall make way prosperous and then you shall have success. The second quality that we need to reach our promised land is to be loyal to God's word. God is saying to Joshua, being commander-in-chief is important, especially given the seven nations that you're going to have to overcome. We talked about them last week, the Canaanites and Girgashites and Amorites, Perizzites and Hivites and Jebusites. But that's not the most important thing, Joshua. Your military skill, your military training, that's not the most important thing. The most important quality you need to succeed is to be a fervent disciple of me. And the number one metric of being a disciple is, are you loyal to God's word? I want to say that again. The number one metric for knowing if you are a disciple is if you're loyal to God's word. God was saying to Joshua, you're called to have the word of God upon your heart, mind, day and night. You're called to have the word of God dwell richly in you to develop your mind, to be intelligent and sharp and articulate. Do you know that pondering truth keeps your mind sharp? Do you know pondering the truth of God allows you to see the big picture, the little picture, the layers, the nuances, the meta-themes? There's nothing like pondering truth that comes from the Scripture. It makes you intelligent. And contrary to how culture paints us, we are not anti-intellectual, just the opposite. Joshua, as you ponder the truth, you will be filled with exceeding wisdom that will vault you above your peers. You're called to cultivate a deep reservoir of joy and fellowship. How? Like we just read, by not letting the book of the law depart from your mouth. You're to be careful to do all, not some, all that is written in the law which Moses commanded you. Don't leave out one command, not even one jot or jittle. Well, what's this phrase, jot or tittle? So here's this little language lesson. This is really cool. In Matthew chapter 5, 
Jesus said, truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter. So in the Greek there, it says jot, iota, or stroke, which is in the Hebrew, tittle, shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now, if you look at the actual Hebrew alphabet, I'm sorry, my pointer doesn't show up on the screen. But you see the little stroke mark there on just one Hebrew character. You look on the right side, the tittle part, the letter B and the letter K, Beth and Kaf. There's just a little extra titch on the right side. The smallest mark. It's like the difference between O and Q. There's a little slash. So Jesus is saying, listen, not any little aspect of the Word of God is to be forgotten or neglected. And this is what God was saying to Joshua. Be a scholar. Meditate. Memorize. Don't turn to the left or right, and then you'll prosper and you'll have success wherever you go. What a wonderful promise we have if we follow God's word even to the smallest part. But think about this. When God told Joshua to follow his word, Joshua only had the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He didn't have all 66 books of the Bible like we do. And God was saying, you just give yourself to these five books and it will sustain you. And in my mind, I imagine kind of this poignant scene between Moses and Joshua, where Moses hands these scrolls to Joshua. And Joshua says, what is this? Moses says, this is God's word. God had me write it down for you and for the nation. Treasure this, Joshua, with all your heart. It's God's timeless wisdom. It will never fail you or forsake you. So to think about that, when Joshua received this command, he only had the first five books, which is called the Torah. Again, we have the blessing of all the other books of the Bible, 61 of them. But Joshua, give yourself to those first five books. Wisdom will come to you. And so Joshua may have well had the original copy, original copy of the first five books. And God said, pin your life on these books. Everything you need in life is contained here. Commit to it. God was saying to Joshua, your call is to be the first disciple and first loyalist of these people. Not first in the sense of sequentially, but first disciple and first loyalist as in the leader of the country. Show the nation what it means to be a follower and worshiper of me. You be the model. This is where the blessing lies. Not in conquest, but in obedience. Now, when you read in verse 7 and 8, you realize this is actually the precursor of the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, you see the parallel between the two. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And then what? Teach them to observe everything I have commanded you. Is this not Joshua 1, 7 and 8? To be a disciple is to be loyal to the word of God. This is how Jesus defined it. And this is what God was saying to Joshua. To wholeheartedly follow God's word is to say, this is what I submit to. This is the definition of discipleship. I'm going to slow down for one second and let this point escape your attention. This is where there's a white hot point of contention in our culture. And it's around the issue of authority. Do you love the idea of voluntary submission or do you hate the idea of submitting to anyone? Right now, we have a very verbal culture. We have an F-off culture, an F-you culture. In other words, don't tell me what to do. 
I'm going to do what I'm going to do. So I can say it straight to you this morning. Rebellion is the culture of death, but submission is the culture of life. When God talks about submission, he's not talking about forced submission. He's not talking about subjugation and being a slave. He's talking about voluntary submission, where we choose submission because we are convinced that God is worthy of our allegiance, our heart, and our very life. The cross is meant to woo your heart to God so that you voluntarily say, yep, I'm with him. I'm smitten by his love. God does not want forced love because that's not love at all. God's greatest gift to us is choice. He actually gives us that that choice to say yes or no to him. That's a very dangerous thing because we could reject him. But at the heart of love is submission to God and a joyous embrace of his word. John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the word. There it is again, the word. And the word was with God. And then this phrase, the word was God. The word represents God. It represents his heart. It represents his authority. Christians who have a good spirit understand submission. Christians that have a bad spirit don't. Unfortunately, there's a lot of Christians that are well-meaning, but they have a bad spirit because they have not understood the Joshua principle that if I'm going to come under the word of God, that means I submit my life, I submit my will, I submit my heart. You end up having a bad spirit. You have an independent spirit because you don't know how to come under God. Christians that have a bad spirit, they love their own ways more than God. We have become so desensitized to our own independence from God, we think it's normal. Everything around us reinforces our own autonomy and right to self-declare. We think our normal is normal. And we think Babylon is the promised land. We think this is it. Everything around us, Babylon, oh my goodness, this is our promised land. But it's not. Our normal is abnormal. God's word is normal. God's authority is normal. That's what brings life and health. We need to renew our minds and re-up our commitment to God's ways. A few years back, we ran a series on how to raise kids God's way. When I asked one couple how it was, they said, it's good, but that's not our style. That's a perfect example of quiet rebellion, independence and disregard for God's word. That's not a disciple. That's a self-help mentality. That's an a la carte mentality. A little bit of Tony Robbins, a little bit of Oprah, a little bit of Ellen, a little New Age, a little bit of Buddhism. Mash it all up and voila, my own religion. I've built my own altar. But that's not where we're headed. Being a church on the move means we're building a different culture right here, right now. In this city, one of the greatest cities in the world. We get an opportunity to shine. For the Lord. You are not here by mistake. You don't have your houses in your neighborhoods by mistake. You are here by design. And we're building a culture that's based on God's commandment to Joshua to not let the book of the law depart from our mouth. We're here to help people reimagine a new way and what a new normal looks like. A land flowing with milk and honey is about people coming under the covering of God. 
And this is why we exist. To create a culture of disciples, zealous to live out God's truth. If we're not here to live out God's truth, then why do we even have church? Then there's no difference, right? Why would we have it on Sunday morning and make you get up out of bed when you can just be sleeping in and enjoying your warm, comfy sheets? If we are not distinctive and we're not living out and being zealous for God's word, then we're no different. We're just a club. But if we are establishing something special, if we are moving towards the promised land, and then when people come here, they catch something different. They sense something different. They see something different. Our values, our priorities, how we live. So this is what church is like. This is what the gospel is about. Yeah, it is. And this is our assignment as a church. Ask yourself afresh, are you loyal to God's word? Peter said to Jesus, you have the words of life. To whom shall we go? Peter said that to Jesus in John chapter 6 after Jesus had given for the first time the whole picture of the communion, supper. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. And it's amazing that Jesus did not go back and tell them, I'm just talking to you in a metaphorical way. I don't mean this literally. Jesus just left the words on them like that. And so the Bible says that multitudes left because they were so challenged and so pierced by his words. And so Jesus turned to the disciples and said, what are you going to do? And that's where Peter said, you have the words of life. To whom shall we go? When we read the word of God, it is going to be fire to our soul. It's going to challenge our priorities. It's going to challenge how we live and think. It's going to require change. But you know what? You have the words of life, Jesus. And so is that your conviction? We want to grow up, don't we? We don't want to be baby Christians all our lives. We want to grow up. We want to become strong. Now, did you know that the Word of God is supremely practical? It talks about how to dress, how to eat, what vocabulary we should use when we talk, how to raise our kids, how to take care of animals, how to pray, how to use your money, how to enjoy sex, how to relate to policemen, how to think about abortion, how to think about environmentalism, how to manage your time, how to rest, how to have a vacation. Did you know the Bible speaks to all of these things? When Jesus taught us, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that means heaven is practical. It works in real time with real people in real life situations. Heaven coming down is not just an agenda for the celestial and angelic beings. It's for us earthly beings. A while back, I shared how I was in my prayer closet, and God said, you know how you treated that one receptionist at the doctor's office? You were kind of impatient. You are kind of rude. You need to go back and apologize to her. I'm thinking, what? But I was reading Matthew chapter 5, where it says, if anyone has ought against you, leave your altar. And go and be reconciled to them. And I was just wrestling. Oh my goodness, there's dozens of people that go through that office. Why do I have to go and apologize for being a little impatient? But God was putting it on me. So I literally stopped my quiet time and I emailed the lady. When I became a Christian at 17 years old, God had me go back and make amends with half a dozen of my classmates that I had severely offended. I had fat shamed some girls. 
I called people stupid. I put people down and made them feel like dirt and other bad things. I went back and apologized to every single one of them. I'm so sorry I said those things. I'm a Christian now. I need to make things right. When I was in college, I went to a professor to confess that I cheated on a test. I remember I was in botany class, and it was, you always took the botany class the last term of your senior year because it was the easiest class, and everyone's goofing off. And so I was there, and I was working through a test, and I go, man, I don't know the answer to this thing. And I just kind of looked over like this. And sure enough, person next to me, they were filling in the blank, and said, oh, that's the answer. Filled it in, got it right, but then my conscience just bugged me. Yeah, one little test question. I went to my professor and I said, I'm sorry. Even when I was young, my dad was a professor at university. I loved going to university with my dad on the weekends. No one was around. And they always had this little coffee station. And the way they set it up was there's a little tin can and you would throw in a quarter. That's what coffee used to cost back then. Have a coffee. And, you know, my dad would go do stuff. said, oh, you know, Rich, just have your time here and... And I would look in that coffee can, and then I'd reach in, and I'd grab some change. And I'd just put it in my pocket. And at that time, I thought, oh, that's cool. I'm getting away with something. But then after I became a Christian, I go, man, I stole that money. And I literally went back to the secretary of the department, and I said, I know this sounds so weird to you, but I stole money when I was a kid, and I need to give it back to you. And she just chuckled, and she laughed. She goes, oh, I have grandkids, and they do that kind of stuff all the time just kind of made, you know, light of it. It's kind of humorous, but you know what? No, I had to be true. Now, why would I do all that? Because the Word of God tells me to reconcile, to heal, to take responsibility, to make amends, to make restitution, to have a clear conscience. Was it easy for me? Of course not. But was it freeing? Oh, my goodness. The Word of God speaks to us right where we are at in our daily life 24-7. It's not up here, it's right here. Have you ever noticed that the Ten Commandments says nothing about love? And yet Jesus said the two greatest commandments are about love. Remember the, the Pharisees and Sadducees, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus doesn't point out any one of the Ten Commandments. He tells us you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two greatest commandments, but they're not listed in the Ten Commandments. Now, why is it that none of the commandments says anything about love? Because the Ten Commandments are about how to practically love God and people. You should have no other gods before me. You should not have any graven image. You should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Honor the Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother. You should not murder. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not bear false witness. You shall not covet. The emphasis there is on practicality. You do these Ten Commandments and you will be loving. So God built in practicality right into the greatest moral code ever. If he just said, love your neighbor, we would thought, okay, but how do I do that? So instead, he gave us very specific and clear instruction, this is how you love me and your neighbor. So where are you at with the word of God? Do you hear God's word in your ear like he said to Joshua? To be careful to do according to all the law. To not turn from the right or the left. 
You know, there's some people right now that are turning to the right or the left. They're playing with some fire. Oh, I can come to church once in a while. I can go to small group once in a while. I can read my Bible once in a while. Just playing on the edges. And they're already turning to the right or the left. My plea to you as a pastor is don't do that. Because there's a gravitational force to the world. There's a gravitational force to culture. There's a gravitational force that's out there that will suck you into a black hole. That's why the Bible says the success of the early church wrote on a couple simple things. Devotion to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. Being in community. We're going to talk about next week the importance of community and coming into our promised land. Don't turn to the left or to the right. Put your flesh under control of the Spirit. Be more wise and just don't do whatever your passion says to do. This generation is so moved by feelings. Feelings are a great thing. God created them. But they're meant to be an expression of proper action and wisdom. Don't have the tail wag the dog and just act out on your feelings all the time because your feelings can change from one moment to the next. If we want to be a church on the move, there's no other way forward. There's no promised land unless God's word is honored above all things. That's what I have to do as a pastor. Part of what we do as pastor is just quality control. We can easily do a lot of stuff as a church, but in the end, if our trajectory is off, we end up and we miss the target. And so we see right here that God was making sure that Joshua's trajectory would be perfect, that he wouldn't miss the target. Have courage and be loyal to my word. This is where the fight is because culture says, you don't need that God stuff. Or it might say, you can have a little bit of that God stuff. But don't go all in on that God stuff. But Joshua drew a line in the sand. Culture is there. I'm here. And God warned Joshua, the nations you're going to face will tell you one thing. But I give you life and they give you death. That's the call. That's the terms. Will you commit to honoring God's word in all things? Really, when God said that to Joshua, it was a moment of consecration. It was a moment of saying to his own heart, it was a gut check. Where am I at? Am I really going to do this? I thought I was going to be a great military general, but what God is really calling me to do is to be a fervent disciple. This week came upon this post by Chance. He's a three-time Grammy Award-winning rapper out of Chicago. He's had incredibly 1.5 billion streams of his album called Coloring Book on Spotify. 1.5 billion. That's just crazy. And maybe you don't know, but he's a Christian. And this is what he said. In December of last year, he announced that he was taking a brief sabbatical to spend time poring over Scripture. We all quote Scripture and tell each other what God likes and doesn't like. But how much time do we spend as followers of Jesus to really read and know his word? I'm definitely guilty of not devoting time to it. So I'm off to read and learn because the next generation of Bennett is here. So Chance is 
Last name is Bennett, and this was just before his second daughter was born. So he's thinking, listen, I'm going to be a dad again. And he led a very rocky life leading up to this point of success. And part of his success has been his tacking back and realigning with his Christian vows that he was brought up with. But he's saying, I'm going to be a dad. I have these kids. I have a responsibility, and I want to pass something on to them. Am I just going to pass on my cool rap words, or am I going to pass on something that's more eternal? So he literally takes out time and says, I'm going to study the Word of God. This is great stuff. He's preaching Joshua 1 to himself. I'm not going to let the Word of God depart from my mouth. And so I want our understanding and our foundation to be sure and to be secure as we come into this next season. Who knows what God has for this church? What if we have a breakout season? What if revival hits? What if people start lining up out of the hallway and onto the streets? May it be that we understand the culture that we're establishing here to love God's word, to honor it, and to come under submission. So let's pray. Father, we look to you right now. We thank you, God, that you've called us to be your people. You've called us, Father God, to come into a promised land. You've called us to come into a place of of richness. And Father, it all begins with what you said to Joshua, that we have to be loyal to your word. We cannot be a disciple. We cannot be a follower of you unless we follow what you teach. You said it to us right there in the Great Commission. And we see it again so clearly in Joshua chapter 1. So just take a moment now before we sing. And even as we sing, just make a fresh consecration to the Lord. Or maybe you're going to have to wrestle with God on this for this week. But just ask yourself afresh. Consecrate yourself afresh to being loyal, committed to his word 100%. Don't be on the fence. Don't be on the line. Be on this side. So Spirit of Grace, come and touch our hearts. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen.